Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. My guest is Rebecca Burrell, expert movement sound instructor, who will be teaching an immersive seven-day workshop at Findhorn in Scotland, June 10th through 17th. The workshop Languages of Nature, Languages of Art is an opportunity to reconnect with nature and what Rebecca describes as our primary language. Her workshop incorporates movement, sound, poetry, and art making. Welcome, Rebecca. First off, tell us a little bit about Findhorn. Well, I learned about Findhorn way back in the early 1970s when I was walking around the the library um, shelves at Dartmouth College. I was visiting my sister there and I came across this book, something about the magic of Findhorn. And it was all about this reality where these people who were out of work went and stayed at this, um, they were in unemployment. This, these three people who've been running a hotel and they got laid off um, nearby Finthorn. So they went to live in a trailer park in, on the sand dunes and they were, and but all three of these people had a long time had a med- deep meditation connection with guides, inner guides. Um, and they were instructed to build garden, make build gardens there in the sand, these sand dunes. So it was a combination of learning about what to do about that because I knew absolutely nothing about gardening and they as well as breaking through with one of the one of the guides one of the meditators guides broke through to communicate with what's called the nature divas and the nature divas are the the form taking patterns and intelligence of a plant all plants have a specific diva and it's very, you know, you can think in terms of the geometry of unfoldment, but a pattern of unfoldment as well, and then form, form all has intelligence at the notion that all intelligence, you know, has form and form, all form has intelligence. In other words, the intelligence of nature, the intelligence of creation, it's not just about humans are the only ones around here who have intelligence. And so um, they communicated with these divas to get guidance and by you know not within within less 10 years these gardens had become famous worldwide famous because of these extraordinary things that they were growing there in this place and so since the late 70s they became the Fintoin foundation and they have been a educational what they call educational charity which is the same thing as saying a nonprofit here in the united states an educational charity ever since teaching about human relationship with nature, higher consciousness of who we are as human beings on the planet and what our fundamental belonging, where our fundamental belongings is, is with a kinship and reciprocal relationship with nature, learning from nature. That was way back, way back in the early, early um, 60s and 70s that this was all taking form. And lots and lots of hippies came from the United States over there to, to stay, attracting people from all over the world to stay for periods of time to learn and participate in these garden gardenings and the higher and participating in higher consciousness, coming to understand, uh, you know, our relationship with 
the world is more of a spiritual relationship rather than just this materialistic consumerist progress and development and profiteering and that whole very destructive essentially and was understood back then that was a destructive way to be going about being in the world so that was part of their teachings to explore and learn other ways of being in the world that um, was were was co-creative with nature and with other humans and rather than competitive and destructive and so now how does this figure in for me um <clears throat> I was enchanted with St. Horn way back then and um, was so delighted to have a sort of a, a reinforcement to what my childhood sense of nature was about, it was full of these mysterious intelligences and presences and qualities of being, and, and which is what it's about. I mean, it's about the um, communications that Dorothy had with the divas weren't in words, they were in qualities senses of qualities and so that's not the typical sort of decoding of communication that we know about but what i came to understand when studying dance i, well, I always grew up dancing but i had a neuromuscular issue and i had learning disabilities but it all came down to when i went to get a quickie dance degree so they would pay me at my local high school for teaching there because i was volunteering i said i needed a degree to get paid back in the early 70s so I went off to get a uh, you know a quickie degree and ended up getting a doctorate in the study around what I call movement-based child development. So I took up what I, I combined movement and learning disabilities and dance all together and followed a pathway that showed me that well this fundamental sense of quality as communication and meaning was primary language that we that gets patterned in utero. Movement and sound are first perceived as one thing, which makes sense because all movement makes sound and all sound is movement. So that our, our immediate relationship with the in utero environment was all sound and movement. That was part one of my interview with movement sound instructor Rebecca Burrow. Part two will air next week. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. theme music is provided by Mazin. You can find her website at mazinmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N. Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Hello, hello, hello out there. This is part two of my conversation with expert movement sound instructor and educator, Dr. Rebecca Burrell. She's got an up 
upcoming retreat in Scotland at Findhorn, June 10th through the 17th. Tell us about that first language, that relationship between movement and sound in utero. Every gesture of sound evoked a movement and every gesture of movement evoked a sound. So there's this immediacy of the identity of meaning. What's the quality of this experience I'm having? So this is the first, first languaging. And so then I came to understand that this was really the language of art. So art is our first language. It's an aesthetically organized language. Our, our perceptions are aesthetically organized. So, and I took that further to recognize that, well, that's how we, that's how indigenous people were in nature. That's how plant spirit medicine, that tradition in plant spirit medicine came into being for indigenous peoples being present with the qualities of, of the creatures and intelligence of plants. It's not like, you know, the Europeans came, came around and started, you know, interviewing, well, how did you know this plant had these properties? And, and, and you know, they couldn't, they couldn't take in that they that they were being communicated with by plants. This was an reciprocal relational communication. And so they would come up with things like, well, it was trial and error. You know, <laughs> you just pick up a plant and decide, well, this plant must be good for knitting bones if you make a compress with it. And so, <laughs> so you know, you tried it on, did it work, didn't work, you know, which is, you know, ridiculous. We'd all still be sitting around wondering what all these plants are doing when this Plant spirit medicine is a hugely vast science, uh, an intuitive and art science that's been around, you know, since indigenous times. And it's been a threat to certain very patriarchal ideas about what, what we want reality to be. And so in the 16th and 17th centuries, we, we started killing off all the plant spirit medicine people in Europe and the, the midwives, these are all herbalists and midwives. So. This whole capacity to know the world through this aesthetic languaging has been bad-mouthed and, and very much injured as a, as a valid way of knowing and being in the world. And so that's what the work I'm doing is it brings it all back as not just valid, but it brings it back as absolutely essential. And it's, and it's absolutely the primary language. And it's, and it's really, you know, in our modern art, we have a lot of conceptual art which has its place. I'm working with per pure perception and aesthetic communication in art making. So you get down to the real nitty gritty, the really foundation, the primary experience of human art making, which is an immediate language. It's, it's a way of organizing mean, meaning and communicating meaning for us. So it goes beyond just the, you know, quote unquote, what is art? It goes into this far deeper realm of what is human relationship with nature. I went to Fintorn in the fall. You do teach at Fintorn, you have to do what's called an experience week where you experience and immerse yourself in the culture, history, um, present and future uh, ideas about what Fintorn has to continue to offer the world and uh, how it's changed over time because once they were a very small community and now they're a vast community and they've had hundreds of thousands of people over the years come and, and learn there and take, take courses with them and participate. So, and then in the end, they all contribute something back. So everything keeps changing and transforming. So I'm thinking nonverbal language really begets nonverbal understanding that there's this link between, you know, being in a, a non 
mentally articulated place or however you want to describe <laughs> nonverbal, like being more in the realm of abstract thinking, which is more in a meditative state where you're thinking more conceptually or experientially instead of like, gee, did I get that done today? Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more, linear, the linear, yeah. And it changes our brain waves to be in that present state of experiencing sensorily. And so it also opens us up to understanding nonverbal wisdom or knowledge. You could say an embodied knowledge, that our body participates in informing us and our heart participates in informing us. And the mind steps back because the mental processes that we've become so inundated with in modern life we're hyper we're a hyper literate society so it's all about reading which is not an embodied practice if you read you know literature and poetry then it gets more embodied because it's evoking it's the art of that if it's really good literature and poetry it evokes the embodied the somatic intelligence to participate in the meaning making that you're coming into and but the heart your heart I mean your heart is considered a brain unto itself um, and it's electromagnetic it's um, hormonal it's biochemical which is you know it's, it's a whole bunch of different things which it communicates to our our whole body mind sense and in this understanding and because I'm, I'm a movement-based child developmentalist and there's an understanding in other people, other studies, other fields that have come to understand the vital foundation of movement to our thinking processes, our intelligences, our emotional organization. Whereas before, you know, it's just, okay, kids, sit still and raise your hand, don't say anything, you know, so that we, we, we so confine the child's natural intelligence, I mean, the intelligence has been evolving for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, we confine it, we reduce it, we truncate it so that we're left with a much smaller intelligence that gets very mental. And that's, and, and, and so much reading, 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 reading makes that, because that I mean reading is a, not a natural process, it's a cultural one. And, um, and it's a clever, very clever one. And I mean, the original alphabets were somatically based, like the original Hebrew alphabet was somatically based. So it was still a story. Every letter had a story to it. You know, so, so you're still in the oral tradition of things. And then when the Greeks took the Hebrew alphabet, they totally abstracted everything became an abstraction. There was no more any story related to the, the, the picture of the letter. They changed the letters all around. So they, like the A was originally upside down. It was the, was the first sound of a Hebrew word for uh, ox, for ox. So it tells a story. But, the, you know, the, they turned the A upside down and they, you know, all it had was a phoneme that went with it, with no story left behind. You know, the stories were left behind. And that's where the somatic and the, you know, the perceptual, the artistic, the, the aesthetic perception comes in. So, so original recording of our oral tradition through an alphabet was originally very aesthetic. Can you talk about primal kinship and what you call a bond with the natural world? 
this what this language is and it's such an embodied language and it's and it reflects our embeddedness so embodiedness and embeddedness which are two things that are you know we're very disembedded you know these super rich people making rockets and things and you know <laughs> practicing maybe leaping off to mars and live in artificial construct artificial environments there that's incredibly disembedded with we were out of our rhythms and um, deep associations with the natural world and the perceptual processes of the natural world is like you know science come along and says well what's moving you know the, the the stories tell us the sun moves across the sky but science tells us oh no it's the earth that's moving around the sun that's just an illusion you know and it's a very primitive idea but the fact of the matter is every single plant life every single every single living thing is is geared and patterned after the sun moving across the sky. You know, we go through, we're, we're in a stable place and we go through the experience of that daily and we go through the experience, you know, going down to the Tropic of Capricorn, coming into the equinoxes and going to the Tropic of Cancer with the two solstices, the winter and summer solstices. You know, those are perceptual patterns and rhythms um, you know, biological rhythms um, that, you know, inform us of where we are in the world and what, where, what season it is and what rhythm it is and what, what time of day it is and, you know, how long it takes to do things and when is the, you know, the right moment to practice something or bring something back in, you know, that you've left behind six months ago. These are all realities that if we don't, we didn't function by them, we would not, we would not survive so to say that living under those things is somehow you know an illusion um, and this is you know just one example and um, a very simplified example but science has done that science has told us you know what's really real is these things you know with that, with that we make tools to look at at the microscopic and you know highly magnified telescopic levels so these are the real things but you know what we see in the in, in the in deep space, we're not there. Now we see on the TV set, we're not there. You know, we see in the magnifying glass. Well, there was someone who was there. I can't think of her name right now, but she wrote the book called an e "A Feeling for the Organism," or else another. I'm just not thinking of her name, but she's quite famous, and she was a a genetic biologist with plants and she actually she was so deeply immersed in this microscope she got connected and associated with these qualities that communicate. Okay, and so she, that was her phrase, a feeling for the organism. In other words, this is a companion in there. They know you're present and you know that you're present with them. Okay, this is a whole nother way to be in the world instead of thinking the world is ignorant and inert and just there for us, like our ex human exploitation. Well, we can't have intelligence unless we know where we are in the world, unless we're in relationship to our embeddedness. We need to be embodied in our embeddedness. And that's what we're, that was by, what was I was talking about? This language is about being embodied. So there are all of our body, heart, and mind inform us. And that, that we can't have an embodiment without an embeddedness in the place where we are. But in modern world, we're both disembodied and disembedded. And the name of the scientist was Barbara McClintock. And she, she won a Nobel Prize. She really did bring Usher back into the scientific world that, well, we're in a, a very intelligent creation. It's not a dead thing for us to exploit and to 
tease the secrets out of it so we can use them for our own final design. But there's other than a hugely enchanting and one and wonderful, wondrous world that we're in that we'll never fathom. And that's mostly part of its wonder. If what we're observing is always changing based on who's observing and yeah. It means that n- none of the ways that we try to objectively analyze, like, say, animal behavior mm-hmm. or, yeah. <laughs> or observe human behavior to understand, right, right, yeah. none yeah. of it takes into account that there is a sense of being observed or just this more basic relational consciousness. So can you talk a little bit about improvised ceremonial movement in connection with natural environments? So what I do is I take us, I do guided meditation, go back into utero. So we try to experience this, just the, just the sense of sound and how that resonates in you and what kind of quality and gesture arises from that so that we get that immediate reciprocal. Reciprocity? Of of quality which immediately communicates something to us is it a harsh quality is it a soft quality is it a light quality is it a heavy quality is it fast quality is it slow quality it's all these qualities that give us meaning so i take us back into that utero we try to get to that pure experience and then we come out of utero and we actually emulate the mother infant dialogue because it's all this perceptual metaphor what i'm calling this movement sound Original language is perceptual metaphor. It's a metaphor. And so, and Gregory Bateson, who was married to Margaret Mead at one point, was also a ecologist and philosopher, tells us that metaphor is not just pretty poetry. It's, it's the pattern in which all of life communicates with one another. And so, you know, I'm bringing us into that. I'm trying to allow my participants to experience that for themselves. And then after we do the mother-infant dialogue, which is all gestural and sound, and it's no words, but there's a communication and there's a bonding and there's a you know camaraderie that comes out of that and, and meaning, deep meaning. Then we go into what I call movement games and movement sound games. So we start playing with these perceptual metaphors and tossing them back and forth across different sensory modes, which is what's going on. With mother-infant dialogue in utero, it's mostly the movement sound. The movement has all these different qualities and the sound is all, all these different qualities. But when, you know, we develop in utero, all of the different senses start coming to sort of differentiate out of that fundamental. And, and when we're born, we start to exercise the learning and practice of knowing the world through all those different sensory modalities. And so we, we throw things back and forth from modality to modality, and that's what perceptual metaphor, that's how it operates. It's, and it's, you've got to be embodied and embedded to, to learn it to begin with. And so, you know, we'll like move a sound, or we'll move a color, we'll, someone will move and someone will give it a color. So there's a visual movement, sound, transforming back and forth, throwing across the sensory modes so, of, you know, you, you, you can see the lay of the land of a hill going into a valley and you can move that yourself with your own body. So you can give it a musical phrase. That's what art is. You see art is coming right out of all. And so we, we practice all that and we become very consciously aware of it, you know, because it gets so sublimated in, you know, art and music, you know, we have it once a week in elementary school, you know, these 
ways of making meaning and communicating have been very marginalized. They're not central. We have this thing called STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And then they say, well, we better add some art to that because that's in vogue and that's part of our research. We do research on the importance of art. And then we put A in there, let's call it STEAM. Well, my equation is A, parentheses, STEM. In other words, all of the STEM stuff is actually contained within the art, the arts. That languaging is fundamental. We couldn't have STEM if we didn't have A, we didn't have art, it was aesthetic intelligence. We bring that into consciousness, which is very contrary to our culture. I evoke the very essence of art making beyond the, the modern notion, oh wait, let's have an art class. And so we start with art as a concept and we, we make it through a concept. But here it's pre-conceptual. It's back into the pure perception of things. We start with movement, just pure sensing movement. Then we, then we have a gestural movement that we keep. And then, then we add, we allow the feeling quality of that to come into it. And then we allow an image to arise from that feeling quality. And then we make the image on paper. And then we give the image a poem. We give it words. And then we put the poem to movement. So we go full circle. Okay. And that's an exercise. And everyone takes their little scenario like that. And we, um, we make mini dances. Okay, So each person becomes an artistic director of their own dance as well as participates in it. And, you know, we're lose, using these conceptually we make scores about what our poetry and our final piece of movement was all about. And then we come up with these little mini dances. And so that's in preparation for the next step, which is to go into nature and immerse ourselves in a meditative state in nature and immerse in all of the different sensory qualities that nature is offering us in any one given moment and become immersed in that languaging, those qualities of meaning. And we respond in whatever ways that we do, because everyone is going off by themselves to do that. And then we come back together and everyone makes a very simple poem, like we did for that other exercise, that we did a very simple poem that it becomes the score for their little piece. And, it, and so we, we put together a movement ceremonial piece that comes straight out of our immersed experiences and into the art, express arts. We all really know that ceremony, indigenous ceremony was just, was all about arts, the arts, and fundamentally movement and sound, but all, all arts. So here's this language of, language of qualities conveying huge information. So I really, the respect and honoring and reminder of our reciprocal relationship with nature as because we are kin it's we we speak the same language it goes we've probably heard the notion that once when animals and humans could speak the same language in mythologies all over the world this idea that animals and us used to talk the same language animals and plants used to talk the same. and that's a real thing you know that's not just a, a, you know a pretty idea you know so I don't know if we would have even survived evolution-wise if we hadn't yeah. been really in tune with understanding. That's and right. Understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if there's so many anecdotal stories of people communicating with wolves and bears. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that would yeah. be a skill we all had, you know? Yeah, yes. That's right. And to have 
you know, these distinctions between us all, but to know that we are, have the capacity to communicate with one another. And that, that's where the kinship lies. I have a friend who wrote a book called Homo Aestheticus, meaning humans as art makers. And, 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 we, and, and that's related to the notion of selection. We select, we evolve certain selected traits for survival. And art's been there, you know, right from the get-go. We're speaking with Dr. Rebecca Burrow, movement sound instructor. She's got an upcoming retreat at Fentorn in Scotland, June 10th through the 17th. A lot of understanding, a lot of interpretation of meaning comes to us through metaphor or symbolism. In other words, we derive meaning from the insights we get through metaphors in myth, in stories, in art, through dreams, and through meditative states. We have these aha moments in those places of ceremony and ritual and dream time and and art making. And there's a relief that comes when there is an understanding that we might not even be able to and often don't perfectly articulate. Yeah. Understanding that is hard to put into words or that we're not completely able to even understand on like an intellectual level. Like there may be a consciousness but not an intellectual process that can analyze a, a clarity or an insight that we get through a metaphor. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And then, yeah, because it is outside the, the verbal realm and it is in the embodied whole intelligence, body, mind, heart intelligence. That we're being, commun- we are communicating with and talking that language. It's really um, one in full of wonder, wonderment. Thank you so much, Rebecca Burrow, for joining us today. I really enjoyed a similar workshop you taught and this forthcoming retreat slash workshop at Fintorn in Scotland, June 10th through 17th sounds amazing. And folks can contact you through your website at horsechestnutwinds.com. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. Theme music is provided by Mazen. You can find her website at mazenmusic.com. That's M A E S Y N 